It's actually the environmental and virtual barriers that actually create the disability on the person just because it's not meeting them where they're at. Hey everyone, welcome to Nerdin' About. I'm Space Michael, and with me as always is someone who loves a good hammock, and that's Dr. Kaylee Byers. How's it going, Kaylee? Thank you so much. It's going pretty well. I do love a good hammock. Actually, you know, I I got a hammock as a PhD defense present last year, mm-hmm. and I'm finally able to go out and use it, so I've been really enjoying it. Now you're quite a, you're quite a tall fellow. Do you ever struggle with uh, hammocks? Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes when I try to get my banana hammock on, you know, it doesn't quite uh, fit Mm. properly. (laughs) That's a a different kind of hammock. I think though. Yeah. That's for sure. Not the hammock I meant. Okay. Okay. You know what? This podcast is inclusive of all hammocks and uh, including (laughs) banana hammocks. Absolutely. So speaking of being inclusive of all kinds of hammocks today, we are going to be talking about inclusivity accessibility. So today we are joined by Marco Pasqua. Marco is an award-winning entrepreneur, accessibility consultant, and inspirational speaker working to ensure that all Canadians have universal access to program services and places where they live, work, and play. Hi, Marco. How are you? I'm doing awesome. And I, I thought you were going to introduce me as like some grand pooba hammock. So that was even even <laughs> better than the introduction that I was expecting. So thank you so much for having me. Well, we are absolutely <laughs> Delighted for you to be here. To start off, uh, you've been an advocate for people with disabilities almost your you know entire life, working life. Why don't we start there? Can we talk a little bit about how you got started with this work? Yeah, actually, uh, it's not just my working life, it's my living life. Uh, something you wouldn't be able to tell over podcast actually is uh, that I'm a person with lived experience. I'm a person with a disability myself. I was born with cerebral palsy. And in my case, it affects my two legs and my right arm. So the dexterity of my two legs, and my right arm. So as a result, uh, I'm a, a wheelchair user. I use a manual wheelchair. And actually, when it comes to the work of accessibility and inclusion, um, Michael, I think you know this from some of the conversation that we might have had um, on another podcast, but I actually kind of avoided that work for the longest time because I didn't want to be seen as a guy with a disability talking about disability-related things because I wanted to be respected first as an individual and as an entrepreneur. But I wasn't always an entrepreneur. I went to school in video game design, got a degree as a game designer, cool. worked in the game industry for uh, five, five, between five and seven years on and off. And then in the, in the recession of 2010, I lost my job, very similar to what's going on with COVID. You know, it was not as widespread as a global pandemic, but definitely the recession hit a lot of organizations uh, across the globe and the game industry was definitely one of them um, but that was the greatest thing that could ever happen to me because it was my opportunity to shift gears and to take a chance on myself it wasn't for my girlfriend at the time my now wife encouraging me to follow what she thought was always my my true calling uh, which was to light a fire in people and using my voice as a speaker I don't know if I would have ever taken that plunge. You know, I'm not, I'm not really a quitter. So I never would have t- quit the path that I was on because I always was chasing that carrot of something bigger and something bigger. But the idea of chasing that carrot for myself 
and really being inspired to use my own lived experience as somebody with a disability and by happenstance actually work with one of the biggest change makers in the world when it comes to accessibility, especially here locally in Canada, uh, Rick Hansen has been a huge mentor of mine over the years. And it was actually Rick uh, years ago who encouraged me to stop being silly, basically, about uh, feeling as though it was a bad thing to talk about my disability or to become an authoritative figure in that regard because people needed a strong voice in that space. And one time I was at an event with Rick and he was basically up on stage. The Cliff Notes version is he said to me out on stage, it's I have confidence knowing that there's guys like Marco Pasqua out there that I can pass the baton to when I'm ready to retire to know that this work and this space is going to continue on far and beyond me. And that's really what blew the doors open for me in accessibility is when your mentor says somebody that you had as a poster on your wall when you're a little kid says that you're the person that he trusts to uh, at least one of the people he trusts to bring forward that message. You say, where do I sign up? So it's been a wild ride <laughs> yeah i love that moment because we did talk about that how like rick hansen basically called you out on stage and i love that that moment so it's a very movie like moment where it's kind of like you get the calling and you're kind of like you you answered it and you've been living this life you know this this idol you had on your wall i think it's really beautiful thanks man and speaking of that work I'm curious about like what it actually entails. Like I want to like get it like nerd out for a minute on like what you actually do when you actually are advocating for people with disabilities. And imagine it's more than just like getting, you know, companies and corporations to raise money. Like, like, maybe get into some of that work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. It's way more than just sitting on a soapbox and saying that this is the right thing to do, because you could say that for any number of minorities, especially in today's climate, right? I think it's actually about becoming an authoritative figure, not just with having the knowledge of something, uh, but having the wisdom of lived experience. And if you feel willing enough to be vulnerable and authentic with people, I find that in my work, um, that has been the best policy. And so uh, I did become a certified Rick Hansen Foundation accessibility professional. And that's just a fancy way of saying I work with architects and building uh, operators, uh, reading blueprints and being able to look at a built environment space, whether it's inside of a building or even just uh, like a part playground municipality and knowing the best ways to approach things from an accessible and universally designed perspective with not only just my perspectives as somebody using a wheelchair in mind but individuals with potentially vision loss hearing loss cognitive challenges and being able to understand that whole picture from the moment that you need to travel to a destination to the moment that you're actually experiencing the site itself and the ways in which it's meant to be utilized by the people who are involved for everybody. So we call that meaningful access. And so the work that I do can any, be anything from working with, like I said, architects, operators to review those spaces in a blueprint stage, going on site, actually delving into the space, giving them reports on what it could look like to do better to everything from actually inclusive hiring strategies. Uh, how do you hire somebody with a disability? How do you make sure that your job applications are accessible for people with disabilities? Um, and then there's a there's a one-on-one -on -one sort of mentorship component of that is basically teaching, educating people so that you can break down not just environmental barriers, but attitudinal barriers as well. In fact, if you ask me, 
attitudinal barriers are the very first set of barriers you need to tackle before you can even look at a physical space. Because if the people who experience the space aren't open to the ideas of change, then you're not really at a a starting point that you can work with. Well, if we start with that first level of barriers, the attitudinal barriers, how do you address those? How do we start breaking those down? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I think just the openness of an organization saying, you know what, Uh, I'm open to looking at diverse uh, schools of thought in that, you know, we've done things a certain way our entire life or our building is of a certain age and we're just not seeing, um, you know, diverse talent walk through the door or roll through the door or whatever the case may be. And first and foremost, by recognizing that, wait a minute, not just saying, well, people with disabilities don't apply to work here or they don't even use our space. Well, it's like, well, of course, because they can't get inside of your building. So if you address that attitude first, and those aha moments are some of my favorite thing ever to, to, to address. And so a lot of organizations, the first touch point is, you know what, Marco, we need a guy like you to come in and give us a diversity and inclusion training workshop from the aspect of something as simple as interacting with people with disabilities. What's the kind of language that I'm supposed to use? How is it that I can accommodate in ways I wasn't even realizing that I was subconsciously not accommodating to? And the coolest thing is, is that I'm the kind of guy that I don't want to create an environment of uncomfortableness where people feel like they're on edge and they're going to say or do the wrong things and that they're going to be slapped on the wrist with litigation. My approach is more about, listen, I'm going to be so authentic with you that I'm a person with a disability that you can legitimately ask me any question you absolutely want to ask. And I will answer you honestly, as long as I know your intention is not a malicious one, that you're actually out there to learn, to game. And the number of organizations that I've seen open up literally a cry. You know, I've had business leaders say, now that you you have been vulnerable enough to come to my space and tell people that you've been going through these struggles and sharing your personal stories. I want to open up and tell people that I've struggled with mental health and depression. And that's an invisible disability that you wouldn't even see on the surface. And all of a sudden you're creating this space where this could be a rigid tech company turns to this open family. That's always really been there. And once you open that door, you can't really close it. And that's where you're creating a sense of, of real belonging for workplaces. And that's the most exciting part of my job. I want to come back to you. You mentioned universal design, and we're talking a little bit about the hiring practice. But of course, this this extends to so many different areas. And for me, I've been thinking a lot about it's, it's scientific conference season right now, <laughs> and it's virtual conferences. I'm in one starting tomorrow. And virtual conferences are interesting. You know, there's sort of opportunities to change how things have always been done to include more people. And then they also present new challenges for inclusion and accessibility. So thinking about designing these sorts of online events, conferences, could you give us some examples that listeners could maybe relate to when thinking about how to use universal design to design those sorts of community spaces? Of course. Yeah. Well, so universal design, there's seven principles of universal design, uh, but essentially I'll boil it down to this. Any time that you're going to use a space that it actually works for somebody, whether they're nine or they're 90, regardless to them having to bend themselves to the space and rather the space is actually working with them. So they don't have to think about them being the person with the disability. It's actually the environmental and virtual barriers that actually create the disability on the person 
person just because it's not meeting them where they're at. So a lot of the times when it comes to creating virtual in a, um, spaces, things that people often forget to think about, which now they're opening their eyes more about, is things like, do you have automatic closed captioning available? Is there transcripting available for people? Maybe, for example, someone hasn't opened up to the fact that they are hard of hearing or that they are going deaf and they don't want to talk about that in the workplace, but they want the peace of mind of knowing that there's going to be a transcript available later that they can review. Maybe somebody has anxiety and depression or anxiety in general or autism or ADHD, and they want to be able to review those notes so that they feel like they can articulate their thoughts if it's to do with a meeting or so that they can still be a thought leader in the space and not feel like there's a disadvantage there. And then, of course, the more obvious things is like ASL interpreters, your sign language interpreters that are available that you're able to now with many technologies like Zoom and like Microsoft Teams, you can pin more than just the active speaker speaking, but also pin a secondary window so that if you have an ASL interpreter, that that person can be pinned in real time all the time so that if somebody needs that interpreter, that that service is available. Or having a secondary uh, channel of open captioning where you actually have someone typing out word for word. And I don't envy those people at all because my typing is good, but not that good. So the, the fact that they're able to type a mile a minute and keep up with these very energetic speakers like myself who, ver who talk very quickly, uh, it's no easy feat, right? And so just thinking about it that way, but then of course, opening yourself up to the idea of you don't know what you don't know, and that's okay. So in your forum, for inviting people to your said event. Something as simple as you can ask is, are there any things that we could provide as accommodations or support that would make sure that you could be active participant in this meeting or at this event? Is a real open invitation without using the word disability for somebody to type in that open text box, actually, yes. Is it possible to have an interpreter? Is it possible to email me some of these questions in advance so that I can prepare myself in advance for what's gonna be coming at me as a participant? And all of a sudden, you melt away any feelings of fear or anxiety about being exposed because like anything, somebody needs to be comfortable whether or not they disclose their disability or not. And there may be people listening today who have some form of disability that for one reason or another related to stigma or attitude, as we we're talking about at the top of the show, they decided not to open up about it because they fear that it, they may lose their job as a result. And that's an honest fear because you just never know what your environment is. But if you build an environment of authenticity and trust, then you're, you're in a good place. Yeah, I'd like to like to dig into that a bit more about the disabilities that aren't immediately apparent, that aren't visible, and people that may be, you know, reticent to open up about those disabilities. You know, I'm thinking of people with depression, with brain injuries, you know, you know, things like that, that, you know, could really affect, you know, someone's, someone's work life and how employers may may treat them mm -hmm. and also how they, if they're not understanding what they're, what they're going through, what are the kinds of conversations you're having around those kinds of disabilities? Well, I think that they're definitely some of the most honest conversations you can have. If you can get somebody feeling comfortable enough to be open about cross-sectionality of potential uh, challenges that they may be facing. I know for myself, I'm going to be completely vulnerable with you both right now. It was only up until maybe like three years ago that I started to open up to people as an inspirational speaker that I've actually suffered from anxiety and depression for 
20 plus years myself because I didn't want to be exposed as a, a fraud in my own eyes because they're like, well, how can you be an inspirational speaker if you're suffering from depression? But I realized that that's just the honest truth of it all. And in fact, not only does it not make me an imposter, it actually makes me more credible to be honest and to talk about more of the human side of things. And so I learned that in the spaces of being able to be honest and open to people and tell them, hey, by the way, not only am I a person with a disability with cerebral palsy using a wheelchair, but I also struggled in this environment as well. Um, that's where people are like, you know what? Okay, maybe this is a safe space. Maybe we can talk about mental health in more than just Bell Let's Talk Day. The number one thing I tell the organizations is don't placate the issue by saying you're going to be part of this because it's a hashtag. That, that's never the, uh, the authentic approach to any of this work. If you believe in this and if you believe in truly accepting the people that are a part of your staff, then you're going to be about it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you're going to create that environment where somebody can come to work and be 100 every single day because you respect who they are and what they bring to the table and the talent they bring to the, to the job site. So the second that we get away from our egos and we hang up our hats at the end of the day, whether you're the CEO of a company or you're somebody in the janitorial staff, at the end of the day, we're all just human beings and we all have something to contribute. And I think that the second that we shed away those titles and we realize that we're actually trying to contribute to something meaningful in whatever it is that we're doing, then people go, you know what? I think we can talk about these things, whether they're visible or not. You know, Marco, you know, in our previous conversation on Let's, in Let's Innovate, you know, we primarily focused on your other life, you know, your life as an entrepreneur. And, you know, you had mentioned, I remember at the time, you know, we talked about how you didn't want to be pigeonholed, you know, as just, you know, someone with disabilities in your work as an entrepreneur. You know, so because this is a safe place and because, you know, you're probably feeling comfortable with us, like I'd like to sort of feel like how you're feeling right now in this moment of 2021 of balance that work of your life as an entrepreneur, you know, and your work as an inclusion and, and diversity, you know, speaker and advocate? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I'll tell you one thing, it's definitely uh, reminded me that as an entrepreneur, it's so important to plant so many different types of revenue streams and seeds of opportunity. Uh, because if I had just put all of my eggs in the basket of being a conference speaker, and had no other aspects of knowledge or education to kind of land on, I don't know where I would be today. And, and it's actually kind of weird when I think about it, considering my actual traditional training educationally, excuse me, wise is actually in the video game industry. And I'm not doing any of that now. So it's about being open and honest and open to change. And uh, before we went live, you know, I talked to you about how, um, you know, I'm only two months into being a brand new dad. And, you know, that's another set of things that are going to challenge you and, and cause you to adapt and change the way you do. So being a dad, actually, this is the perfect timing for this to take place. Because now with my wife being on mat leave and me working from home primarily, you know, due to the pandemic, not only am I going to be a better entrepreneur that's more well-rounded and being able to show not only sides of myself to other people, but sides of myself to myself, 
but also I can be a present dad that when the workday is done, I don't have to worry about commuting home so I can spend 20 minutes with my daughter before she falls asleep. I can be there instantaneously. And I think that there's a lot of people and families that can relate to the fact that whether you have children, whether you have pets, whether you have your significant other, that you can just turn off and just reflect. And you know what? Inner reflection is sometimes the best work that we can do. So learning how we can learn, grow, and adapt and be better day in and day out is also a great exercise that you can do at the end of these work days in a way that you couldn't if you had to worry about traffic. So it's great. Let's talk a little bit about the CUBE principle, which stands for creatively using your best energy. <laughs> what is this method all about? Yeah. So, uh, so Michael, I, I kind of talked to you about it on the other podcast, but uh, the CUBE principle, yeah, creatively utilizing your best energy. It's all about recognizing you know, situations, whether you have a goal you want to accomplish or, or a struggle that you're having in your life and looking to your network to find people that have strengths that, that you can mutually benefit from from using each other's strengths and ideas. And I, th I think it's really great because this is not fish oil that I'm trying to sell people or anything like this. It's just literally the method at which I use to connect with people and to network with people that is done in an authentic way that is mutually beneficial. And I love the opportunity of being able to share it with people understanding that not everyone is good at everything, but everybody is good at something. And honestly, it's something I've been doing my entire life. People ask me if I could teach them how to do that. And finally, after I got enough requests, I said, really, you want to remember how to authentically connect with people? I mean, sure, I can teach you how to do that. And it just kind of spun from there. And I couldn't be more blessed in the fact that people truly look to me as a trustworthy person, an authentic person that can teach them or at least remind them of a world before we were lost in our egos that is social media and things of this regard. So because social media, let me let me be clear. That can be a good thing, and you can use it for good, just like how we're doing this podcast today. There's nothing wrong with, uh, with mutually beneficial promotion of something that is good when you're sharing information. But if you can do it in such a way where you're creating an even bigger impact, and even if it's the most minute of things you wanted to get accomplished in your life and you can get somebody from your circle to help you out with it, it is super rewarding to get that done and then say, man, this is addictive. I, like, I wonder what else I can accomplish. And uh, yeah, it kind of grows from there. I love that. I actually today I got asked a question for a for a podcast panel uh, that I had to answer what resiliency meant to me. And my response was resiliency is community and it's working with the people who inspire you and it's building them up and like celebrating their successes and and the challenges and doing that all alongside. And that's what I'm hearing a lot in this uh, this cube principle. So I'm into it. I love it. Thank you. And you know, it's all about, you know, growing our community and the people in our network. And you know who else is in our network, Kaylee? Oh my gosh, who? The nerd herd. Why is the sky? What's at the center of a black hole? When we evolve? Does anyone have free will? Why is like carbon it's based? The fastest thing on earth. Why do we keep pets? It's time for listener questions. If you want to get in on the nerd herd questions, we post them on our social media at NerdNightYVR, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our first one comes in from Sarah, who asks, I'm curious about inclusion and diversity as it relates to HR hiring practices and board recruitment. You had uh, briefly mentioned that uh, earlier, Marco, but uh, where, what are some of the conversations you're having around hiring? Yeah, you know, I think actually it's one of the most predominant conversations that I'm having because if now is 
no greater time than ever to look at untapped talent pools um, for hiring people with disabilities. And there's a lot of great organizations that are out there doing good work. Uh, one of the ones that I used to be uh, like uh, a lead consultant with is a group called the President's Group or AccessibleEmployers.ca. Now, this is a group of 25 change-driven BC business leaders here in British Columbia that are everything from Fortune 500 companies to small mom-and-pop pie shops that are actually trying to actively say, we are looking to um, set the bar when it comes to hiring people with disabilities. And um, it was such a pleasure to work with this group of 25 companies for, for two years as one of the consultants because we basically took resources from conversations with their CEOs and leaders and boiled them down into one to five page PDFs that anybody can access for free uh, because the province of BC says that this is a priority. And how that ties back into the question around boards is that anybody can get started at this uh, no matter where you're at in your journey. And I think that you just have to be open to where it is you're looking for these talent pools. If there's anything that I learned um, in the two years when I was with the president's group, it's that you can't just make this an HR initiative that's a checkbox, that you're just checking a box and saying, look at us, we're, we're diverse now because we have a diversity statement. You have to be about it and it has to come down from the CEO or business leader level, even if you're a smaller business and you you're the, you're the founder of a company, for example, you have to believe that you need to look in other untapped sources to find this, these, these talents or find uh, ways in which to utilize something that somebody would consider a disability as an advantage for your board or for your company. So for example, some of the companies on the president's group found ways to utilize people on the autism spectrum because some of these individuals are really good at recognizing patterns or numbers or things of this nature. So this worked out really well for one one of our uh, organizations, SAP Labs Canada, which is a tech company, because they do a lot of bug tracking and checking. And the interesting thing is that you know certain individuals, this is not to paint a broad brush on the spectrum, love to find these numbers and they see things in ways that you or I, who may be uh, typical, uh, don't see it in the exact same way. And the cool thing about that is, is that there's this level of focus and intensity where you could find the most bugs out of all uh, staff members as a result of having your brain wired a little bit differently. And that's not a bad thing. So being able to highlight and utilize people's actually uh, God-given talents in a way that isn't seen as a disadvantage is a way for you to unlock the talent that's potentially missing on your board. Well, you're hiring people for their skills, which is... 100% what you should be doing. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, uh, we also have one other question shifting a little bit. Um, and Lorenda asks, I often see really cool inclusive infrastructure initiatives like wheelchair access mats for beaches or inclusive playgrounds. How can I advocate for more of them? Wow. Well, you know, I, I, I kind of blasted on social media earlier, but one of the really cool things, if you're able to, wherever you are in the planet right now, if you are able to get out even a little bit and take photos of the things that you are looking at as accessibility wins, if you think that, then share that. You know, it, there's nothing wrong with having hashtag accessibility win, talking about the location at which you're standing, saying why it's a win and why it was inclusive and why you saw more people with a variety of abilities being able to use that space as a result of that environmental change. You wouldn't believe the amount of companies that definitely hear those echoes and go, wait a minute, so this is something you want more of, especially with social media. So if it's done right and it's done well, 
you can make changes. You can really stir things up. You can use social media and social things for good. It just comes again back down to your intention. And I think that the more that we spread the good word as opposed to just using these platforms to to basically, you know, hate on people or to 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 spread people or to cancel people, you know, we can actually use these things to actually spread good words. And that's what I've tried to do and advocate for my entire life, even before social media was a thing. Because at my age, I'm, I'm 35, but I literally feel I'm blessed. I'm in the blessed generation because I'm in that middle generation that remembers what life was like in the analog generation. Right. So remembering that even then we would use the traditional news and media for good. And there is ways to still let a good message get out there. We are at the same age and I will always remember the sound of the dial up tone. 100 <laughs> percent. I had a ringtone for a while. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm doing that. That is great. Um, yeah. Well, I, I'm older than both of you. And I, I remember, you know, um, we didn't even have phones, you know, when I was when I was young. We had to, <laughs> we had to yell across the street. Um, just the abacus. <laughs> just the abacus. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, should we nerd out? Yeah, let's nerd out. What you nerding about? What you nerding about? All right. If you want to get in on the nerd outs, uh, you can uh, write in to us on our socials at NerdNightYVR. You can also call in to us. Just email us, Vancouver at NerdNight.com. Marco, what are you nerding out about? Uh, well, so I thought about this greatly because this is the one thing I, I was like, geez, what, what topic am I going to go into for nerding out? Uh, and the thing I want to talk about is I'm nerding out about uh, Seth MacFarlane's show, The Orville. Now, uh, it's been a while since a new season has been on, but for a while it was on Fox, season one and two. And it's basically Seth MacFarlane, believe it or not, answer to Star Trek. And the reason why I love The Orville over any version of Star Trek that's out there is that it brings this kind of new age approach to that sci-fi being the captain of a ship aspect of things um, but does it in such a way that is comical but not in a Seth MacFarlane kind of comedy way but it, it you know it brings light to some real world issues so it's kind of like Star Trek meets Black Mirror and I just I love that aspect of it because there's an episode called Majority Rule and uh, I think it's like episode five or six of the first season and the reason I love that is it ties back into what I was just saying about social media they stumble upon a planet which is entire legal system is based on um these little uh things that they wear on their their, their sort of uh, blazers of their coats or their t-shirts that has an up button or a down button. And anywhere you go, if you go to this planet and you do something wrong, spill coffee on somebody, they can downvote you. Well, in this society, literally, if you get up to 10 million downvotes, then you, uh, you have to go and be lobotomized, essentially, because you've done so wrong in society that they have to course correct you to get back on course. But at one point, uh, they didn't know this about the planet, and one of the uh, crew members gets on the planet, does something inappropriate, and all of a sudden gets a bunch of downvotes, and he has to go on an apology tour uh, to kind of plead his case as to why he didn't mean to do what he did. And I just thought it was fascinating to think about the parallels of today's society in that social media were not that far off from upvoting and downvoting people and basically canceling them or ruining their lives. We're not quite lobotomizing people yet, but uh, you know, we're definitely in a space where it definitely makes you pause and think, what kind of world do you want to live in? What kind of 
people do you want to be around? And is it too late for us to step away from the precipice of the dangers that some forms of social media can be you know to, to end on a on a brighter note like the the series is funny it's articulate it, it it talks about real world issues it talks about how diversity is actually a benefit for the crew um you know and and many of these shows like star trek are are being credited for the innovations such as the cell phone like like the communicator in star trek is actually being uh being sort of credited as the first uh, sort of inspirational point of the inventor of the cell phone and, and being able to see that communicator when he was a child and wanted to create that in real time to where we have wireless telephones now. So it's never too late to be inspired, nor is it ever too uh, novel to, to stumble upon a novel <laughs> or a TV series and be inspired that and create that into reality. Totally. And Michael, I mean, you're somebody who loves Star Trek so much, and we just learned that you've been alive longer than there have been uh, telephones. So I'm surprised <laughs> that you didn't come up with that uh, <laughs> invention from Star Trek. Uh, well, I do like the Orville. You know, there is an episode, I think, not too many episodes after the one you just mentioned, Marco, where all of the males are the are the uh, are the birthers in the society and and how they become sort of op- obsolete. It's a ends up being a really dark episode because you know because the premise of Star Trek and this show is that they're going to these new societies and in these new societies they develop these traditions that are kind of like Earths but just like a little different. Totally. You know, and they don't really have a solution because they're like we're not going to get involved in your society society we're just going to kind of learn something and move on and yep. i remember that episode they kind of had to move on thinking oh man this is a dark reflection on our society 100 <laughs> percent. what have you been nerding out about there michael uh, any dark reflections on society or anything uh well no actually a lot of like really positive reflections but in some surprising places so i probably hinted before at my pandemic hobby of baseball cards once or twice <laughs> Probably haven't shared though that I have, have a, a secret, not a secret, but a separate social media account on Twitter and Instagram where I post one card at a time from a set of baseball cards. So 1990 Upper Deck. Wait, are you Upper Deck cards? I am Upper Deck cards. Yes. I'm like, who is this person who likes all our stuff? It's you. <laughs> That's funny. Love it. I love it. Because I've now been using that as like predominantly as my social media. And, you know, I started doing this back in like January 2020, mostly because I needed like a new project to focus on that was completely different from the work that I was doing. And over the year, what has happened is like those two social media platforms totally broke me out of the algorithms that I was in, like the echo chambers that I had kind of like developed in my social media accounts. Like all of the work I do is all related, like Nerd Night, Space Center, science communication. You know, what started to happen is I started to make friends in the most unlikely of places, like total strangers who I've never met. Most, I don't even know what they look like, (laughs) but we interact every day. We send cards to each other in the mail. (laughs) It's really fun. And I've realized that our past guest, uh, Ruel Molly, talked about in her nerd out and her inclusion and diversity class, she was talking, taking at Yale and really starting to look at issues where you're trying to take somebody else's point of view. Mm. And that's hard to do. 
You know, unless you're really seeing the whole picture of their lives and not just like the one aspect of it. Totally. So I've really been enjoying just kind of like inserting myself into a different part of life and interacting with different people and just kind of just like living with them and sharing, you know, this this hobby uh, with each other. You know, and I find it really beneficial. And the other thing this project does is that it helps me learn about something new that wouldn't normally come my way. So I'm not like seeking it out. It's just like totally random because I'm just taking a card and I'm just doing research and seeing where that research leads me. So for example, today's post was this player called Kirk Gibson, uh, who was a the hero of the 1988 World Series for the LA Dodgers, which is sort of random because um, there's 800 cards in this set. So not everyone is like a great player. But I also found out that a few years ago, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So I wrote a little post about it and, you know, ended up finding that he now has a foundation called the Kirk Gibson Foundation where he's raising money for families. You know, I talked about, you know, what Parkinson's disease is. I linked to the Michael J. Fox Foundation, which I know, Marco, you're a big fan of uh, of him. Huge (laughs) fan. And, uh, you know, and ended up donating money to them. And and you know what? Like, oh, that's cool. we, We always like are always prompted by an event or an incident. You know, when uh, when we go to like certain causes and I thought that, you know, something like this really helps me break out of those habits. You know, doing this project has really helped me sort of break out of those those algorithms and and find new places to to congregate and hang out with. So so that's what I've been doing. And you found some pen pals, too. It sounds like you got pen pals. This is crazy in 2021, man. I know I have been looking up. You know, especially during the election, it was really interesting to sort of see because most of them are in the States and most of them are like in very small towns in in the States. And so I would look up, I looked up there like specific counties. And I wonder like what sort of like what um, side they're leaning on. And, and you know, not all the things <laughs> that I would see in these feeds, you know, were things that I would agree with. Sure. But, you know, I sort of like just read it all. I just like soaked it all in and just sort of like see where these people are coming from. And I found that really interesting. Kaylee, uh, what, uh, what new friends and people, uh, have you been, uh, finding this last past little while? What are you nerding about? Well, I am attending a conference this week, uh-huh. so I hope to make many new friends. <laughs> I, I want to nerd out a bit about season two and all the new friends we've made through podcasting. So this is going to be our last episode of season two. Wow. Season closer, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for closing out the season with us. We've got a couple of bonus episodes to come out over the summer, but otherwise this is this is a wrap until September 2021. And the past year has been a steep learning curve for how to pivot from live events to podcasting. And with that came learning how to record and edit podcasts and distribute episodes and all those sorts of things that as a rat doctor is not (laughs) something that I did a whole lot of before. (laughs) Um, But in looking back, I think I've personally been able to learn so much more from our guests than via live events because I actually get to sit and listen and really follow up with questions instead of being so consumed with what's going on, how, like, how's everybody doing? And I've really, really valued that. And at the close of season two, I'm also nerding about a new transition for us. So we're very excited to share that we'll now be working with an audio producer, essentially for upcoming episodes. Up until now, it's been me doing everything manually and probably very poorly. Thank you, everybody, for putting up with me. Um, <laughs> but we're going to be working with Elise hall Mayer, who has some experience in this area and who's very generously given her time to help us with some audio editing. So I'm really excited to see what that's going to look like for season three, what season three is going to hold for Nerd Night 
generally. And so I think to close out this nerd out, I'd really love to share a review we received on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we don't have many, but thank you so much. What? We got a review? Yeah, we have a review. <laughs> so I, I'd like to shout out <laughs> Elizabeth who shared, as an actor, I loved, loved, loved three times, cubed, heading to the Fox Cabaret for Nerd Night. It was seriously the best character study and so lovely watching people talk passionately about what they know so much about. I'm loving the podcast, the banter, the subjects, the guests. It's great. And, you know, at, at Nerd Night, we used to be able to read the audience. We got to interact with people. We got to see how everybody was doing. And now all we kind of get is like a dashboard that tells us how many downloads there are and a little bit of social media engagement. And messages like this mean so much for for us and for this community. And so I'm just really grateful to you, Elizabeth, for leaving it and really grateful to everybody who's been on this journey with us. So Thank you so much for for being here with us for season three or season two and keeping this community going. Uh, we're grateful to you. Yeah, no, this is uh, this has been wonderful, and you know the podcast has grown and we've grown along with it. I'm really excited to start working with Lisa. I mean, Lisa is going to be like the the third uh, member of of, uh, of this show, and I think it's really going to help us out. So um, I'm super excited for that. There it is. Well, congratulations to you both for for not only the success of your nerd nights before uh, going virtual, but all, obviously if you're expanding your team, then that means that obviously something is working. So, congr- so congratulations on that, and congratulations on um, the meaningful conversations up to this point. And and as I said earlier, I I feel super blessed and and humbled that um, I could be one of those voices among the many among the among the halls of people who've who've come through the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Marco, for for coming on for our final episode of season two. Uh, where can people, you know, learn more about you and and all of your work? Yeah, absolutely. Well, probably the easiest way you can find me is going to my website, uh, which is super easy. It's my first and last name dot com. So Marco M A R C O P A S Q U A dot com, um, and then you can learn more about the Cube Principle. You can learn more about my accessibility and inclusion work, my one on one mentorship stuff, speaking, all of that stuff. There's video videos on there, photos, all that stuff. And all my social channels are also connected um, at the bottom of the page as well. Well, thank you so much for linking those resources. We'll be sure to put them in the show notes as well. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us. And thank you to everybody again for listening. It has been a joy to be on these couple of seasons with you. If you want to hear more from us, you can follow us on our socials at NerdNightYVR on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We won't be back in a couple of weeks. We'll be back for season three in September. But until we meet again, creatively use your best energy, and we'll be doing that alongside you. (laughs) 